Hello, and thank you for listening to Living Wealthy Radio, heard around the web on livingwealthyradio.com, iTunes, and Blog Talk Radio. I am Teresa Kuhn, helping you live wealthier. Resources are available for you at livingwealthyradio.com. Do you have a dream of opening a business but don't know if you have what it takes? Do you ever consider going back to school to get your dream job? Or maybe you've tried starting a business only to get burned. What's the answer? How can you achieve the success you want in your professional life without piling on student loans, letting people walk all over you, or working 60, 80 hours a week? Well, our guest today, Dr. Jeff Seibert, is a successful dentist and serial entrepreneur who has a brilliant track record of starting and maintaining successful businesses using a really refreshingly unique philosophy. He's here to discuss with us how to be a successful entrepreneur, find fulfillment in the process, and really live a spectacular life. So Jeff, it seems to me, and, and you know, you've been a, a longtime client of mine, and it seems to me that you've got your your practice, um, you're a dentist, a very successful dentist, but you've made the majority of your wealth from your business investments. And that's something that scares a lot of people, right? They've got their profession, but they're scared to invest in businesses. Um, what's different about how you've set up your life where you've been able to create um, many, many assets uh, besides the income that you get from your profession? Well, Teresa, that's a good question. And to be fair, um, I a lot of my income is generated from reinvesting in my own company. Um, you know, I'm very blessed to meet Lynn and Keto Sam and start a franchise early. And um, so a lot of that was reinvesting in myself. And instead of when busy and the clinics were and we were parlaying those into multiple revenue generating clinics instead of patting myself on the back and buying bigger homes and fancier cars I would keep reinvesting and I I knew the rules in Texas were too good uh, to last forever and so instead of um, you know living high high on the hog which I still live pretty nice I chose to keep putting those in income producing um type vehicles. Uh, I learned that at a young age from Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and the cash flow quadrants, is that I, I've learned that wealthy people that I hang around, they try to generate money from one sector and reinvest it in another. Not only to diversify, but it's just ways for money to keep generating money, because I've met very few people in this world that got wealthy on a W-2 by themselves. Now, yes, I have friends that are CEOs and presidents of big corporations, but those are rare and in between. And so, you know, and ultimately, what are you looking for? To me, it was freedom. I mean, dentistry is a very rewarding profession, but it's brutal at times, and um, it wears you down. And I knew that's just not what I want to do my whole life. So, hence, made some sacrifices early, uh, you know, reinvested some money, um, Kind of how I met you, you made this nice bank of yourself policy, which is kind of like always my insurance policy. And I chose not to put money in most things that I don't control. And I think um, those were things that just kind of set me up early for success. And, you know, when I look back, I just, 
I always invested in me, and I didn't. I never burdened myself down early with a lot of debt and a family and kids at an early age. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing to do, but because I was a single guy with low expenses with a pretty high income, I was able to take chances that most people might not have because if I could always go back and grind in that dental chair. And so that's a reward. I mean, that's a that's a refreshing uh, kind of idea to have. I could so see you know, some young guy in a corporate world with a lot of debt, you know, trying to please his boss and raise the ladder, and, you know, you, you end up start trading your time for dollars. And you better be really good at it and be really patient because that's a long, that's going to take you a long way to get to where most of I think want to go. So, did you grow up? Did you grow up with a lot of um, wealthy people around you? Um, not at all. Uh, my parents divorced early, and my dad, if anybody's read the Rich Dad Poor Dad series, my dad was the epitome of the poor dad. And I don't mean it in a bad way that we were poor. We were certainly middle class. Um, but he was he's, he worked for the man, traveled, wasn't around much. Um, and so he missed out on a lot of things, not because he was not a loving dad or missed his kids, because he was trying to make a living. And I think probably the biggest influence on my life early on was my uncle, uh, Dr. Lohr, who, you know, lived out in the country, uh, you know, about 50 miles southeast of Dallas on Cedar Creek Lake and, you know, lived on a golf course and worked four days a week and played a lot of golf and had a boat. And, you know, those things as a kid, wow, that's like, that guy's rich, right? You don't, mm-hmm. you don't have any clue. But, but it was a very good start of, I can still remember second grade career day and, and drawing a picture of what did you want to be, and it was a dentist, and I knew that in second grade. So I set my whole life up to do that, whether it was, you know, make good grades. I even, I was very gifted in, well, I had some very good teaching in golf. I even chose the school that I wanted to go to, undergrad, you know, even I got a scholarship to set up to go to dental school. I, I had two cousins that were all world golfers, and I could never beat them, and I realized that if I was going to get to where I was in life financially, it wasn't going to be through golf, or certainly not a professional. Gambling golf is a whole different thing, but we don't even talk about that. But anyway, so I had a good influence. Hey, listen, this is, you know, you don't get in debt. You don't, I mean, like I said, there's good and bad debt, but you don't, you don't have to keep up with the Joneses. And I was just very myopic in my view of, I need to go to dental school, I need to graduate dental school, and I'll have this wonderful practice waiting for me with my uncle. And, you know, that did, that started out wonderfully, and I learned so much from him, but that's not how I was ever going to achieve what I ultimately wanted, and that was to take a chance and break away from the security of that practice. And uh, because we were so close and like a dad to me, you know, he obviously wanted me to do well and wished me well. And and the karma there was I let him invest in my company, and I think he, he would tell you he's done very well with it. So, so really for a lot of professionals and I don't know that this is true today, but certainly my father's a medical doctor and he said he did the same thing when he got out of medical school and he had his practice. He lived way below his means and all his buddies were getting the fancy cars and the fancy houses and he just kept investing his money. It sounds like you lived way below your means and know you didn't have a family or kids, but certainly you could have spent more money. And I know you, your friends and your colleagues certainly did. But early on, you had that 
that drive and second grade saying, I want to be a dentist and setting yourself up for the rest of your school career, right? Focused on being a dentist. Do you think that's different from most kids? Because I think a lot of kids go through school and have no idea what they want to be. I I agree. And it's hard because even if they do, you know, we have this mentality in this country that, you know, making good grades makes you smart. And then that's just going to equate to success, and that's going to equate to financial success. And I hate to say it, as most people know, doctors are easy prey or dentists because their, 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 their academic IQ seldom matches their financial IQ. And I, I mean, we've all seen the, the high-dollar, really expensive guys that go down and lecture all the time and and yet, if you really break down their financials, they're not doing well, as opposed to someone like my uncle who, you know, on the outside seems like a country boy, and on the inside a very astute, studied his business, made some pretty good investments. And just like him, he had, you know, he got tied up. He's a little early. I mean, he's a, we're exactly 20 years apart. You know, he lost some money in the 80s and all that real estate stuff. But, you know, it happens. And, and, and so... I guess to get off the tangent here is, you know, I can't I can't speak for what they, you know, their drive or what made them want to be a doctor or, uh, you know, an accountant, whatever their motivation was. But I can tell anybody this: there is a huge difference between academic IQ and a financial IQ because some of the smartest guys I know, eh, that's a relative term. Some of the more astute financial guys I know never had a college degree, and you know. Uh, I made a reference back to my dad being the kind of the poor dad growing up. Well, one of my best friends growing up in grade school, his dad, I don't even think, finished high school. But yet here this guy was building convenience stores all in the bad parts of town, really cash flowing, gas stations, truck stops. Mm-hmm. And then he was really smart because he would sell them. And knowing that these guys, well, I say not knowing, but knowing they probably couldn't run as good as he could. And, and he would sell them for X and end up usually buying them back for half X, and he would just keep doing it because he knew how to run his business. And we've all heard stories of guys selling the companies for X amount of dollars, and then the guy that bought it couldn't make it work and begged to take it back at probably half that money. So, you know, they're, they're, I don't ever equate, um, you know, your degree on the wall is anybody is in, that's going to there, that is that that does not equate to me, and I wish I could pat myself on the back and say, you know, I'm the genius for doing the revenue or the, you know, getting in the dental aspect of the business. But quite frankly, um, I, I made a deal with a, uh, my partner, and it just worked out. And I was scared to death. And 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 if if he hadn't have been an honest, good guy, and did everything he said he was going to do, and today we're still business partners and best friends, and. I've had really bad experiences. One of them was with him with a with a third party, and they were literally thieves. And I just I'm so thankful today that my first ask, my first really, you know, I'm gonna spread my wings and take a chance in business turned out to be a very good guy. And that'd be another pearl I could give anybody listening. Every deal that comes to you is gonna look good. My lawyer taught me this at an early age. He said, "I can see you can sign all the promissory notes you want." and all the collateral you want, but you better be in bed guy that you trust. 
because ultimately when all it, when everything hits the fan, all the things you signed, all that, you can get all the lawyers in the world. But if the guy's a crook or the guy was dishonest, the money's gone. You know the old saying, you can't get blood out of a turnip. Well, and that's, and you know, and I've been, I've been burned for, for the most part. I do business with good people, and I've been blessed that most things have worked out because of that. And, uh, and I have to remind myself because I've, I've got off that heat once or twice, and, of course, they didn't work out. But, but the big ones, the ones that really mattered, the ones that have made me the most success were with people that were just good people. You bring up so many great points. One is you, you walked away from the security of working with your uncle, right? And you took a big risk, which was getting into partnership with someone who you didn't grow up with and you didn't know. And because you had positioned yourself where you were living below your income, you were able to take that risk from a financial perspective, knowing that, hey, I've got my degree, I've got my profession. If this doesn't work out, I can always make a living. And then you did business with someone, your first big business opportunity with someone who ended up being a really good guy. As a former practicing attorney, my husband actually was the one who taught me this very early in our marriage. Because, um, you know, as an attorney, it's, you know, paperwork and contracts and all that other BS. And he right. said, no, I, you know, I'm not going to live my life this way. We do business with people we can do a handshake on and handshake with. Otherwise, we don't do business with them. And I'm so grateful for that lesson because at the end of the day, we both know litigation sucks and signing a contract does not make someone do the right thing. That's, uh, I, 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 I actually, Teresa, I don't know that, maybe I've shook your, your husband. I don't really know him that well, but I'll tell you this. He's a really smart guy. A, he married you, but B, what he said, I'll, you, you'll laugh because, seriously, because the I was in business with my partners and several clinics later, I don't remember the exact number, but the only reason we ever actually got lawyers involved for a contract was for the damn banks because, they, you know, we were, they needed to borrow, we were, they were, he was going to grow, and I kind of, I never, I never went to a bank, well, I, that's not necessarily true, but for the most part, for all my growing, I just kept parlaying. I just kept parlaying, and and I, I did use a bank for some, but but when the you know the banks they want everything, and so we actually had to get our lawyer together to make all these contracts and sign what percentage of what here and there, and I, I laughed because that's exactly how we did business. Because you're crazy. Of course, my wife's a lawyer, right? So she's like. Where's the paperwork? Where's this? Where's that? And I said, I, I've got to, you know, I said, I guess I'll, I'll have to jot it down or something because, um, and even in, and even through, you know, litigation we've had together, not, not against each other, but for outside things and, and the state general and stuff like that, it was never, it was like, whatever happens, I got your back, you got mine, or even though it's not exactly coded this way, we know exactly what it was meant to be so whatever whatever comes out of this we'll, we'll do it together and to that's the way to this day we're still going strong and um very very of all things i'm so grateful for that because i've been burned if i was burned the very first time i would probably with my uncle i mean still making a great living but basically a glorified w-2 self-employed guy which is nothing wrong with that but i couldn't have got to where i've gotten today with just my hands alone, no, no chance.
And I think we attract who we are. And, you know, for that reason, you probably attracted your partner and you thought alike. And, you know, I think that makes you beyond the zeros in your bank account, right? It makes you incredibly wealthy having, you know, at this point in your life, looking back and saying out of all the business deals that you've had, you have very, very little litigation. Who the heck wants to deal with attorneys? All respect due to attorneys. But whenever somebody approaches me and says, what do you think? Should I sue? You know, nine times out of 10, I say, walk away, forgive and forget. Learn the lesson and just walk away. Who wants to be involved in all that negative BS litigation stuff. Um, <laughs> it sucks. It sucks the life out of you. Um, and you know that because you've, you've had to be involved in some legal things with, with your business and it's not fun. But with your main business partner, what you've been able to build with him on a handshake is exceptional. Well, I mean, people say I'm lucky, people say I'm crazy. I just, I, you know, I'm a firm believer that luck and luck is when preparation meets opportunity, and it's not really a cliche. Um, it just, it just, I had a history with this guy. I tell you, talk about, I'll, I'll just go back just a little bit earlier. There's a little bit more history, and, and I just keep bringing up these great points. I don't get into all the details, but basically, um, on a side deal, my partner, who's my dear partner now, he owed me a little bit of money, and I know he was in a bad spot, and I don't want to go into details, but I looked at him and I said, I have known you for a while, and I know you're a good dude. And I said, listen, I am not going to ask you for the money. I am not going to hound you. I am not going to call you. I know you. I know you're going to do fine. When you are on your feet again, you call me. And we'll settle this. I swear this is a true story. About, I can't remember because this is 10 plus years ago. And it, we're not talking about a significant amount of money. Okay? I mean, we're talking about less than $10,000. So, for some people, that's a lot of money. For most people, I, I understand. Right? But, I mean, but I mean, for what, for some of the things we've been talking about, I don't mean to undermine 10000 at all. But I'm just saying, just to kind of give a relevance to, to the story. Yes. I, I, a year later, a year later, ballpark a year later, my phone rings. Hey, Dr. Jeff, how you doing? I got your money. And I said, I knew you would. I absolutely knew you would. So, march on down, you know, I, I guess I don't have a timeline in front of me, but it came time to do the biggest deal I've ever done, which for me was everything I pretty much had. And I knew I was in business with a guy that, that kept his word. If I would have made a scene or pounded him or put pressure on him or talked bad about him or, you know, hey, you owe me this money. I want it. My whole life would be different. Now, I can't say that it wouldn't have been some, somewhere else. But the best financial home run I've ever hit was with this guy. And it's because I did exactly what you said don't do. I just got burned in a deal by a guy that I trusted, helped his kids, don't even mention names. This was trying to help him out. Didn't think I, I don't do business that way. So I could not imagine that you that I could help somebody so much and help their kids, which is even ten times more personal, and get backstabbed mm-hmm. over a project that I let him do to try to help him out. And again, I could I could sue him. I know he's 
he is, you know, hurting financially. I know he's just, I come to find out he's just not as good a guy as I thought he was. But making his life miserable and suing him and dragging him down and paying his attorney isn't going to get anything accomplished. And so somehow down the line, this guy has the ability and some of his business, he's probably going to help me out again. I mean, I'm not going to give that, but he'll come to me and I'll be, and he'll be able to help me. And that was so much better to me and the peace of mind than just absolutely burying the guy while he was even further down. So, you know, I mean, we talk about these success stories, and I have plenty of others, but still, it always comes down to people. Is this somebody that you trust? And if you do, a contract, you know, unless you're dealing with a big corporation, <laughs> you, right. people are people. I mean, they, they just are. And, and, and it, it's hard to wash stripes off a zebra, that is for sure. Right, right. Rich Dad, Poor Dad, great, amazing book. Um, I've had my son read it and The Cash Flow Game. Um, what, who introduced you to that book? I believe it was, I'm pretty sure it was my uncle, uh, the dentist, Dr. Lohr, John Lohr. And it was right at the right timing for me because I could relate so much to, wow, this was my dad versus I had this, really, I just had almost the identical parallelism growing up, and um, I, uh, you know, I read it, it made sense to me, and I, and I just, and then I kept going, I read, but I think the one that really, um, you know, that gives you the kind of the introduction, but the one that I think that I really remembered, and I talked to my accountant about this, and, and by the way, we talked bad about, well, actually, we talked bad about lawyers, but <laughs> a great lawyer and a, a great accountant are two of the best assets on your team because because my guy that's you know when you're dealing with the IRS I when I just like I was talking about before I always dissect the deal in from the IRS standpoint you know how are we going to be able to you know is this a section 179 deal how much is this going to be long term what are our tax implications and 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 talk to these people I'm not I, I listen I have paid plenty of taxes I'm not but I want every deal to be legal and the best advantage. And when you have guys like my accountant and, you know, my attorney that when we go in and do a deal, hey, let, let, this is, I can't, the advice I've gotten has saved me hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars of deals and taxes. And, and I mean, legally, that's what these guys are paid for. And so people sometimes say, wow, my accountant bill is this. I, I just, I can't, I can't stress enough like how important those people are, but I think I got off on a tangent, but I'm sorry, Teresa. What was the, what was the original question again? So rich dad, poor dad. Okay. And your uncle introduced you to the book and the concept, but it was introduced to you at a time where you could relate to it. I was just out of middle school and I was just, you know, starting to make a, a decent paycheck from a guy that's, you know, been in school for eight years and, um, I think it, it, it just reiterated some of the things that uh, I had thought. And and then when I got into cash flow quadrants, that one, really, that one really made sense to me. Get your money from your income, reinvest it in things that make money. And, you know, learn at an early age that, you know, banks, people, and I think in the back of their mind, they think their home is an asset, a car is an asset. Mm. And what I what I learned the most from those guys, from Fish Dad Poor Dad series was, the only thing that's an asset is something that makes you money. And people say, and I've, I've had this argue with my mother-in-law, she's been a real estate her whole life, is 
1970 for for easy math, say 100 grand, and now it's 2015 you sold it for 250. What a great investment! And I laugh. <laughs> Add up all the taxes, the opportunity cost. If you're a stock market guy, whatever, and look, you know, and all the things you paid to fix and blah blah blah. I, you know, with very few exceptions, very few exceptions. Real estate, and you know, like I said, there's some. I have some guys buy Ferraris that's fancy and sell them for money. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the rest of the world, like uh, the rest of us working guys. Your home and your car is not an asset. Right. Why it's on a bank statement it, as an asset is comical to me. But that's why I'm never, you know, a home's a home. But if somebody gave me the right price, I'd sell it and move to the next one. Now that I have kids starting to go up, schools, you know, maybe different. But, um, yeah, that's, if you know, the way to get wealthy, and it's not what you make, it's what you reinvest. And then how you choose to do that, you, you know, that's up for a whole other debate. But it's it's making your money with your hand, reinvesting in an income-producing asset, and then getting that money. And it's just, I, I mean, nobody knows this as a kid. August gains is to, to life. You know, you start out with nothing. But if you keep accumulating, and then you turn your little house into a, whether it's a mobile home. A new guy that started with three mobile homes. Started into a rent house. Turn it to two, but now they're apartments. I mean, it, you think that stuff doesn't happen, but it's it's it, it happens all the time. And so um, that was the biggest influence on me as far as as if you want an essay. And it, he, he gave, I remember this his wife wanted a Porsche. I say Kalinowski, the the author. But instead of going to lay down ninety thousand for this Porsche, she went out and invested ninety thousand in an income producing asset, whatever it was, whether it was a a rental property, and she got something that would invest or would, would generate enough money for that car payment. So guess what happens at the end? Basically, she got the car for free, and now she still has an income-producing asset that she can do it again. And similar to bank on yourself, but the same guy that, you know, worked his whole life, he gets his bonus check for goes and buys his dream car. And now I just watch it, you know, it watches it dwindle into nothing. And so I think that's just the simplest one-on-one as far as investing. And and um, and people, it's hard. And today is, we're such a, I want to be satisfied now. I want this now. I want this now. And, um, you know, when they just, they keep getting themselves bundled in debt. Because as we know, Teresa, by the time you pay the government, sales tax, property taxes, income tax, you just keep going on and on and on and on, and the government just, is just getting worse. I mean, for every dollar you bring home now, I mean, it's, you know, they say 50%, but I I think it's almost, it's almost worse than that. It's hard to stretch it. So you better be prudent about it because, you know, you know the two greatest assets anybody has in this life, and this, this is, that has nothing to do with money, and that is your time and your health. Without your health, none of the stuff really matters. And if you don't have time, it's really hard to, you know, let that compound interest go for you. And I think that's another thing at an early age. Um, you know, when I even when I met you and I'm and we started some vehicles together, is that wow, you're young and and, and I could just see this this compound money grow, and it was easy for me to get excited about. Hey, you know what? Yeah, I'm making some good money right now, but this is for my freedom later. If I put this away now, this year is going to buy me 10. And ultimately, 
I've been very blessed. I have some wonderful, successful friends. I've been in private jets. I have driven in whatever cars I want to drive in. That doesn't motivate me. It really doesn't. Yes, it's nice. My dream car growing up in the 80s was a Ferrari Testarossa. It was, I mean, I dreamed, lived. One day, if I could ever own a Ferrari Testarossa, I have, I have died. I mean, there's nothing else to do in this world. And, and the irony, Teresa, was the day I could write a check for it was the day I didn't want it anymore. And that's just the kind of thinking that, you know, the forward thinking, because ultimately, I want to buy freedom. And that's really, uh, you know, and, I, and I've kind of semi-done it. I don't grind in the office anymore. I, uh, I mean, I still do, and I love doing what I'm doing, but, I, you know, I don't work many hours a week anymore letting, you know, choosing to manage or let the clinics do or I fill in for doctors who need me. But um, I, could, I could work more. I could make a lot more money working five days a week you know, 60 hours a week, and the quality of life, and by the time you go back and pay that 40% back to the, to the government, I just found it wasn't, it wasn't worth it for me. Um, but that's my mentality. But what they don't see, or what might, you know, is that for the last, you know, 14 years from I graduated middle school, or, you know, 13 years, I worked Saturdays, I, I, if, 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 if I had overflow in a clinic, I'm off tomorrow. Who, I go, who can come in tomorrow? Systems would come in. They know I'd give them a bonus. I would see those patients. I would I would go get whatever needed to get done. And that's the forward thinking that today is somewhat bought me the kind of lifestyle or the freedom I want. It wasn't going the fact that I could buy it. You know, now instead of investing, let's say, a hundred grand on a Ferrari, I invested a hundred grand in percentage of a dental clinic, something that would generate money. And, and so um, I know people are thinking, or, you know, it's like, well, I don't, I don't make that much, or I'm a little, you know, but it's, it's you know, again, I, I tell them, you know, take a penny and double it every day for 30 days and see what happens to you. And, and it's, it truly is not what you make, it's what you save. And I think most people, they want to talk about it. You know, they might want to, you know, these little more successful, but it really boils down to actually paying yourself first, which has always been my slogan. You've got to pay yourself first because why else do you, why else do you work? But when they actually have a chance to say, you know what, I could put this money in my IRA or my 401k or I could try to start a, just a minimum, you know, a couple hundred dollars a month, uh, investment account, whatever it is, I don't care if you're paying down your more, whatever it is, and that's a whole other topic, but whatever it is, to actually have the discipline to do that, say, man, I really want to take that vacation. Well, I paid myself first, I don't have enough money. As opposed to most people say, you know what, I'm going to go on a vacation, or I'm going to do this, and whatever that it is, it's just hard to do. It, it, it really is. And so, um, I was, I don't know, if I was born with it, I don't know if, if it was just, you know, loving parents, whatever. But I've always had a, a self-confidence that I, I can make it work. Or, I, you know, I don't, I'm not going to say, of course, everybody's to the high school adolescent years, everybody's a little bit vain. But I just, um, early on, just I just, I could see the future I, as far as preparing for it. That's what I mean. I can't see the future, but I could prepare for it. 
and um, that was never difficult for me to do as far as, you know, putting a stitch in time, saving time. So you are in your early 40s, and you have enough assets where you really, like you said, you're semi-retired. You, you love what you do, but you're not a slave to it, and you work minimal amount of hours a week because you've got your assets producing for you. Um, what's next for you? What, what, what keeps you excited and interested in life? Well, it's, it's a, a brother. I, I love him to death. He and I are four, 18 months apart, and he's got kids out of college. And I have a five-year-old, a four-year-old, and a 15-month-old. And that's, I'm, I want to give my kids what I was not able to get as a child. And that's not love. I got plenty of love, and my kids get plenty of love. But what I was not able to get as a child was time. I did not get that time with my parents. And the greatest I hope the greatest asset I can give them is time to be with them, to nurture them, to show them these things, and ultimately to leave them a gift. But but not so much because oh I don't I'm going to be a spoiled brat and daddy's going to leave me you know an insurance policy when I die, when he dies. No, I, and I've had I've talked about wealthy friends about this. Some of them aren't leaving their kids anything, but they're going to give them the ultimate education, whatever they want. And I, I kind of want to give a mixture of both. And so what's next for me, you know, I'm always going to try to thrive in whatever business it is, but it's kids. I've got, um, you know, the pro of doing what I did was I was in a pretty good spot financially or started to be able to give my kids things that I didn't have, but also to set me up where I'm not a slave to it. You know, I'm not some corporate lawyer or some CEO or, you know, they expect me 60, 70, 80 hours a week in the office. That was never going to be me anyway, but that's the gift. Now, of course, you ask my wife. I'm never around enough, right, anyway. <laughs> Although it's 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 ubiquitous amount of time compared to what I got as a kid, but um, I still like to travel and I still do my golf and stuff like that. But ultimately, day in, day out, to be a big part of my kid's life, I think that's that is the ultimate gift as a parent. Who are some of your major influencers today? I know that you um, were, as far as golf is concerned, on Michael Jordan's Ryder Cup team. Is he <laughs> is he one of your influencers as far as golf is concerned, or life, or nobody? Nobody grew up in 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 my generation, our generation, not admiring Michael Jordan. So of course he's every kid's dream, and. Um, I have been very blessed in my life to meet some extraordinary people and play golf. And because I'm a very good golfer and um, people like to win, I get invited on some pretty cool tournaments, member guests, um, been on, pretty much traveled, I'm not going to say the world, but St. Andrews and how many times I've been to Cabo. But anyway... I've been very blessed because of, because of what golf has been to my life. And one of the, I could probably say one of the coolest honors was um, Ari. I'm a customer of Ari, and I've got some dear friends down there, but they invited me. They hosted an international team versus a USA team, and Michael Jordan was our captain. And as much as I play golf and gamble, 
he has a presence to him, and you're a little bit, well, anybody is the first time or two nervous around him. But um, this particular time, uh, we got a little bit unlucky. I, I felt bad for him. His, his, he had a in-law that was very ill, and he had to leave a little bit early, but Ray Allen filled in for him. But he, it was it was fantastic. It was That's just what I love to do, and my wife teases me about him not too much. It's usually tr- playing in tournaments and, and gambling and stuff like that, but Golf has been an unbelievable vehicle to me for the people I've met, the type of people that you meet. And um, I just I just came back from Toronto, played a member guest, and then went to Detroit and played um, Oakland Hills, which is the history there. I'm in the clubhouse looking at the U.S. Open trophy, the Ryder Cup trophy, the PGA Championship trophy. They're hosting the 2006 U.S. Amateur there next year. I'm just looking around going, my life is pretty good. It's it's pretty good. So I I don't take it for granted. I feel super blessed. But uh, yes, yeah, so what's next for me? I I golf is my my like motivation as far as as an individual, as a man, you know, as like ego, whatever. As far as you know, if you have your family and your business, but it's like, what do I like to do? I like to stay in shape and I like to play golf, and it is. I take it seriously. I mean, from from workouts in the morning to getting up and working on my short game to to whatever, it's what. Um, and and the beauty of golf is it's an it's an insatiable sport. I mean, you can never you can always get better no matter what. You can never conquer it, and I think that's probably why I'm so attached to the game. So, yes, that was a pretty special event. Very cool. Well. Not only are you a badass, but you're a really, really nice guy. And I've so much enjoyed our relationship over the years. Thank God we met over Bank on Yourself. And um, I remember when we were first talking, how many people said it was kind of crazy for you to, you know, Bank on Yourself. That's stupid, right? Why would you want to do that? Um, but you you saw it immediately, and um, I remember our conversations. You, you were like sold the first day after you checked it out and, and read about it, and it just made sense to you, and I'm very, very grateful to have had you um, in my life as a client and a friend, and um, just admire who you are and what you've accomplished. I, I you know, I how sounded too obsequious or anything. I can I can tell you besides my stepmom, Teresa, as far you know, as far as like an influence on me, um, I will admit, I will be the first to admit, and if people know me now, they're gonna laugh. You know, if you when I met you six years ago, five years ago, whatever whatever ballpark time, and somebody asked me, would I ever buy whole life insurance? <laughs> I always said that's the dumbest that's the dumbest thing ever. And if somebody would have said, you know, try to explain politics to me, I would have thought, you're crazy. You know, the, the U.S. government has your best interest. You know, that's crazy. And if you'd have told me, uh, my kids, you know, I don't know if this is out the too far out there, you know, if someone in the medical field and my kids are not immunized, um, you know, those are some pretty strong things that five or six years ago, I would have said not only no, but hell no, and you're crazy. And... Um, you and I have been dear friends. We have separate we're partnerships and separate business together. But if I could thank you for anything, you know, is that the way that you, you're like, oh, gosh, another one of these guys. 
you never you never treat me that way. You always challenge me, like, how do you think? And then you never put anything that you said, I want you to read this. And I want you to read this. And and all of a sudden, it was a snowball. And I was like the kid trying to win valedictorian. I read so many books. And I'd forgotten about some of the stuff I'd read. or I've always kind of kept the basics. But truly starting to learn, you know, about politics and about the government and, you know, left side, right side, both leading to the slaughterhouse. It really doesn't matter. And just, just how naive I was to all that. And you started me on a journey that really, you know, changed my life to strong, but completely changed my ideology about politics, about food, about the FDA, about the USDA, um, just not to to to, or to actually question. I just told those guys I was I was a sheeple. I mean, I was doing my own way as far as business, but you know, I was I was a guy that was investing in their you know in their retirement account. You know, just a friend of was a stockbroker here. You know, here blindly take this money, and I trust you because this is what things you know people are supposed to do, and. Um, and then, you know, I've seen the ups and downs of that. I mean, my dad, he lost, you know, in 2009 when the world came to a crash. You know, if you're 60-something years old, mm. you know exactly what I'm talking about. And, I, you know, I'm forever for grateful for the education that you gave me. I mean, I could talk about Bank on Yourself all day long and how it's the greatest of all the things I've done besides my own business, how I could go on and on for just literally hours about how awesome that product is. But... That's how you sold it to me. Not, this is, you let the facts speak for themselves. Jeff, you're a smart guy. Look at this. Look at this. Look at these numbers. I want you to read this book. And I will say that on record, The Creature from Jekyll Island was the most influential book I have ever read in my life, not even a close second, of what's really going on in the world. Yes, it's all about money and the Federal Reserve and how that's a whole other thing that if you're not, you know, Teresa, this was always my, if somebody wanted to, if I got trapped into it, I never want to talk about politics because I just don't. And so we all know it just because, but if someone trapped me in a corner and, and asked me about politics, I would ask them one simple question, just it. And that question is, can you explain to me what the Federal Reserve is? And if they start off like, well, that's the bank of the Federal, and I just, I, you know what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. Then I just said, I appreciate your opinion, but you don't even, I mean, and I'm thinking in the back of my mind, I'm, I'm, you know, what's the point of arguing with a buffoon? I mean, they just, <laughs> it, you know, I mean, I, I just, like, you have you have no knowledge or you have no concept of what I know. Not that I'm arrogant because I chose to learn this stuff. And if you're still caught up in, you know, that the Republicans different from the Democrats, then I truly, like, you know, I, I can't really... I, I, you know, I'll agree or disagree, because half the things they talk about, in my opinion, aren't even political issues. So, you know, going back to it, I, I, the relationship that you and I have formed, the friendship that we hadn't talked for two or three years, and we could pick up the phone like it was yesterday, but the ideology, the education, and not the education that you taught me, you taught me how to find information, and, and, and all of a sudden challenge. You know, I don't even watch the news anymore. Truly, I really don't because 
I don't believe what they say, or it's not the right, it's not the truth anyway. So, and I mean, I'm, I may be too extreme, you know, you're a conspiracy guy. Well, not really, but I just question everything. And before, I just was a total sheeple. And um, that, I, that alone was, was um, as good as any textbook or any, any college professor or any, um, anybody could ever taught me. So, he asked me who was a big influence. Um, you know, without just being like, a... and I and I think you know that from sincerity because we've talked about it in our conversations over the years. Um, I'm a completely different ideology. I mean, people ask me now. I mean, uh, if you if you want me to say something on record, I'm probably a libertarian. I I I just think if you're not hurting people, it's your body. You do what you want with it. And uh, I I'll get off that because that's a boring subject, but. Um, that's, that's another, you know, pretty big influence on me. Thank you. Thank you. And you were a really smart, um, you were a really smart guy doing very, very well and you were open to learn. And you and I know a bunch of really smart, successful people who are not open to learn something that is different from their ideology. And it's unfortunate for them because there's so much to learn and you were so open to learn. You were an open vessel. It was like, give me more, give me more, give me more. And you went down that rabbit hole and it's not fun going down that rabbit hole. It's not fun taking off the pink rose colored glasses, right? But you did. And after you get through that, you know, here you are still thriving in your business, but with a different perspective. And I think more grounded because you know the truth, you know the reality. You know, and I, I'll, I will, yes, and I will tell you this, and this was huge, and you know, we talked about this, but anybody familiar with Texas Medicaid and um, orthodontics and stuff was a huge fiasco. I don't want to get all the details in it, but you know, there were so many guys like myself that were doing it honestly, and you know, had a bunch of clinics and, and followed every rule. And, um, you know, just to kind of simplify things, every kid that we put braces on had to get approved by the state. It comes to find out now that the truth is told, the people that were in charge, you know, and I don't need to put in names or anything, but the people way understaffed and were basically just rubber stamping anything that came to their door. And so Texas was spending way too much money on orthodontics and um, they pretty much dropped the program but then to save face and this reporter out of Dallas you know picked on someone like in any profession that were completely abusing it and you know sensationalized it and now the politicians were embarrassed and they had to go try to recoup some money and they came to our business and we cooperated with them and went through all the audits and it was the biggest legalized extortion I've ever seen we followed every rule, you know, you gave us these approvals, we did the work, we, we did everything that we, you know, in our, in our best ability, right, and yet you still say that you want this ridiculous amount of money back. And and not only that, you know, 70 plus percent of our business had nothing to do with orthodontics, nothing to do with orthodontics, general dentistry cleanings, you know, blah, blah, blah. And yet they were basically extorting all of our money from the state, from Medicaid, until we settled with them. Gun in our head, settled with them. And we found out
I just said, you know what? We could do what's right, which would be to fight them and try to take on this evil machine, or we could just settle and and not lose our business and um, just just basically take it. And because of my experience with, you know, in the past, I knew I knew to just settle. My partner, we need to think that we cannot win. I don't care how exorbitant this ridiculous fine is. If we chose to take them on, we had no win. We could have won in court, which everybody, ironically, almost everybody that I know have has taken them on has won. But at what cost? Right. So you just cut your losses and say it's been a good run, and we'll change our on this machine and probably bankrupt me, my partners, and the company. Now we have nothing. But on paper, we won because because in our hearts, we didn't do anything wrong. Right. So that that education really helped with that decision. And just saying, okay, what's okay? That that particular avenue is closed. Let's go down another avenue. And sure, you know, from 2012 to 2014 was a huge drop in business, but we survived and. Um, pour out actually up again and you know I, I could have cried about it I mean sure I stressed about it because who wouldn't be after that's your business but I never I never said I you know I'm the victim here I, I'm you know pitiful me I you know I'm gonna lose everything I just I just said you know they move the cheese it's time to go find it again and um, I could have never had that mentality if I had not really truly understood, you know, politics, because it had nothing to do um, what was right or wrong, it was politics, and you know they have all the money and all the guns and all the time, so good luck trying to beat them. Right. <laughs> I don't right. know how much of that's relevant, but it was all the way. That was all the way back to my. Oh, I have nothing. I've done, you know, if I'd had that mentality, if this had happened six or seven years ago, like I did nothing wrong. I, I'm a taxpaying citizen. I, you know, I, I'm one of the good guys. I'm one of the ones actually paying taxes. And, uh, you know, why, why are you doing this to me? This makes no sense. But I, there was a much bigger picture there. And I was fortunate enough to be able to dissect a lot of that. Well, Jeff, any, any parting words? Oh, I, you know, I will tell you this, you know, we talk about, I know this is kind of a, you know, ultimately I would just encourage people and, and pursue it because it's, people think it's money. People think if I do this, if I work harder, if I love more, if I do this, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to catch this rainbow. And I, the people that I see that, are happy, and I'm around a lot of, you know, successful people, and, I, and I'm sitting around a room, or sitting around golf courts the other day, talking to these guys about what, you know, and almost, almost every one of them around the room were, you know, they absolutely loved what they did, and, um, you know, they pursued a dream, and the other side of that is, I know people that have sold out companies for exorbitant amount of money, more money than I could ever dream of spending, and they're depressed not happy, you know, maybe a bad marriage, I, you know, whatever. But I think people, 
you know, especially in this country. When you go out of this country, people laugh at Americans. Really, we have this arrogance to us. It's mm-hmm. ridiculous. You know, we have such a, like, we're, and they laugh at us, like, why do you guys work so hard? Why do you chase that? Why are you such in the rat race? What are you trying to catch? And I think that, you know, when people, I, I look at back that Ferrari analogy, like, oh, my whole life, like, if I could just get this car, and then you get it, it's like, what am I chasing now? And that's, that's the, you know, if I can leave that message, is it's not, you know, I chose to work hard to, to get freedom. And I think when people can get, you know, whatever their inner peace is, whatever makes them happy, whatever brings them joy, that's what they, they should pursue. And, you know, it's that, well, I, you know, but I got I to gotta live, I got to be able to afford this. Well, I mean, if there's a will, there's a way. Because I know many happy people in this world that aren't financially successful. And I know a bunch of people that are what most of us would consider super financially successful. And money does not equate happiness. But what it does, it gives you choices and freedom. And that's, you know, I think ultimately what, you know, if you can find what makes you happy and you have your health, then you're as rich as any person out there. And uh, I think people have no clue or they, they, they lose sight of that in the rat race that what what am I doing this for? And uh, and even in my profession, I see a lot of dentists, a lot of dentists that work for me. You know, they work so hard, but I just know they're struggling, you know, financially. And here, most people would probably love to have that type of income. So um, I don't know if that was a departing shot, but... That's awesome. That's, that's pretty good advice, I think. So wise. So wise. Thank you so very much. I so enjoy having you in my life. I really just adore you and admire you and how you think. And um, I'm, I'm blessed to know you. And now the listeners of Living Wealthy Radio are blessed to meet you as well. And um, you've got great, just great, great information um, for everyone. So thanks for joining us today. Oh, it was my pleasure. And if, you know, I. I'm just a little dense in Dallas, but if, there's, if anybody has a, you know, a question or wants to, you're welcome to give my uh, contact out, email out, because I, I had, I've been very fortunate to have people help me along the way, and I may not be able to help. I probably know someone can or have a question or bounce an idea off of. So I'm, I'm all about having multiple people in your group because. Like, that's why I like to hang out with you, Teresa. You always want to hang out with smarter people because that's how you learn, right? (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. So. You've been listening to Living Wealthy Radio, heard around the web on livingwealthyradio.com, iTunes, and Blog Talk Radio. Download or subscribe to our podcast to hear a new show every week. I am Teresa Kuhn, and I hope you'll join me again next week as I show you ways to live wealthier. Resources are available for you on our website at livingwealthyradio.com.